shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakewood, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, it's time to go Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Zebalero. And, you know, we got a really great show for you today. We're going to try something different, and uh, we got a point-counterpoint discussion, uh, a little, maybe a little uh, disagreement that we're going to talk about. And we've got some guests with us uh, that are going to join us here in a minute. But before we do that, we've got to bring that guy in. You know that guy, don't you? Kelly Grayson. Here he is. Kelly, how you doing, sir? I'm doing well, man. I'm I'm that guy, huh? You are I, that I, guy. You know, I suppose you ever, that's better than being some dude. That's right. Well, some next week you could be some dude. Some dude or or his cohort didn't do nothing. That's right. So, you know, we're kind of talking and telling the audience, you know, every so often we're trying to bring different content. We're trying to, you know, keep them entertained and try to keep them amused as best we can. And we heard from our editor-in-chief, Greg Fries, and he said, you know what, I've kind of got this point-counterpoint discussion going with Steve Whitehead. And uh, you know Steve from the uh, videos he does, uh, Remember Two Things. Mm-hmm. So we're going to kind of have these guys on, and we're going to kind of talk about a little uh, point-counterpoint that they have, and let's see where this discussion goes. So oh, yeah, first, looking forward to it. let's bring this guy in, that other guy, Greg Freeze. Greg, how are you? I'm well, Kelly, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me back on the podcast. Anytime, man. You're signing the checks, so we can have you uh-huh. on every week if you want. <laughs> Uh, I'm not signing the checks, but I'm glad to be a part of it. But uh, And let's go ahead and bring Steve Whitehead in. Steve, how you doing, sir? I am very good, sir. Thanks for having me on the show. I've been listening to uh, Kelly and yourself go back and forth on this show, and uh, I've, I've wanted to come in and say hi, so thanks so much for having me. Anytime, you know, and, and know you have an open invitation to come on and share your stuff with us. So, you know, uh, you, you sent us an email, and the email talked about, are uh, field mistakes, are they inevitable? And is it the opportunity that we need to prepare for mistakes, or is it that we can kind of avoid those mistakes from happening? And Greg, uh, you've got one side, Steve's got another side. So your thoughts first before we bring Steve in here and, and hear his thoughts, and then maybe we get a little rambling back and forth. Well, great. Thanks, guys. So, you know, this idea that errors are inevitable, accidents or mistakes, you know, we just have to assume that they're going to happen. I I push back on that strongly because I think once we have a mindset of like, well, somebody's bound to get hurt, then why don't we just pick the person that's going to get hurt? You know, if we're rolling out on a call, oh, somebody's going to get hurt. Well, why don't we just push Kelly down the embankment and watch him fall and get hurt? And then we'll get that over with. You know, so if we start with a mindset of of accidents, errors are inevitable, you know, why not just make it happen? That would be my first thing. And then the second thing that I always say is, you know, let's thin slice um, an EMS response and the phases. And rather than saying we're going to go through the whole year without anybody getting hurt or no medication errors being made, how about let's focus on leaving the station without an error or let's focus on the arrival to the patient without an error or mistake or this time with this one patient where we're going to draw up and administer a medication and when we start thin slicing and looking at prevention in each specific phase I think we can go accident free mistake free error free so those are the two points that I want to make at the outset those are good points. So we'll get the counterpoint. Steve Whitehead, 
Give them what you got. All right. And hey, I, I wanted to point out, by the way, in, in the art of EMS and the article I write, I have sometimes talked about challenging the boss, challenging authority. Uh, and I always get pushed back in the comment section of people saying, bad idea. You know, well, I'm challenging the boss, by the way, right now. I'm, I'm a living example of challenging <laughs> right. the boss. You know, That's right. <laughs> tweaking his nose at authority. That's right. <laughs> So, so don't say that I don't live, you know, what I preach in, in the column. Practice uh, you know, leading by example. I, I, I like where Greg's coming from. I really do. But I do think there's a little bit of mental acrobatics in there. Um, I think it's time we take medical errors and pull them out of the closet. They're not something to be hidden. They're not something to be ashamed of. We are doing a job. Emergency services is incredibly di dynamic. It is packed with variables. Uh, and there is no way you can look at that job and, and assume or presume that that's something that could be done error-free. Any more than you could presume that a batter could stand in a batter's box and bat a thousand. That, that he, uh, there are too many variables to not assume that there are going to be errors, that there's going to be the swing and miss moments. In saying that, no batter ever concedes the strike. So when we say, okay, well, let's just push Kelly down the embankment because we know there's going to be an error, so let's just cause the error. Well, that's almost like saying, hey, look, I know I'm going to miss the pitch, so I'm not even going to swing at this one. You know, I'm just going to let this be my strike. You don't have to concede the error, but you do have to recognize that it's going to happen. And not only is it going to happen, but when it happens, from an organizational standpoint, it's valuable because that's how humans – learn. And when you pull it out of the closet and you say, you know what, our goal was never zero errors. We knew this was going to happen. It's acceptable as long as we make it a good error by sharing it with the organization, by learning as much as we can by what happened. So there's my, at the outset, that's what I would throw out there. Those are good, two good thoughts. I just, I just want to know how we arrived at, at pushing kelly down the embankment as i'm, as, I'm enjoying yeah. the heck out of that so let's <laughs> let's keep that in the show yeah yeah you don't need to overanalyze that you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't take it personally kelly you know from, from, spoken by the guys who are doing the shoving yeah i i just <laughs> think i have a better chance of sneaking up on you and then i do on Sevalero. i mean he used to be in the air force and all that yeah. so um and so <laughs> steve do you worry that um you know, that if we make error reporting sort of this, like, uh, feel-good thing, like, hey, we're all going to learn from this. This is a learning opportunity. We just don't want this to happen again. That, you know, people then can become blasé about errors. Like, oh, you know, I just got to tell the boss so he can make a PowerPoint about uh, this mistake I made and then bring it up at training and everyone will high-five me for being so brave to report this error. It's a great question. I don't. I don't worry about it in the least because I've never experienced it myself. Okay. I don't think anybody wants to make an error. And even in a learning organization where learning is your priority uh, and you say you know, that, that we're, we're going to bring light to these errors, there is still going to be fear involved in being the person who makes the error. There's still going to be shame involved. And getting over those hurdles to the point where we can have accurate reporting and and good learning I think are much greater of a concern than so, than creating an organization where people feel it's okay to be the person that, that, that makes the error 
I'd, I'd like to interject here, I, uh, and I'll come down firmly on Steve's side. Uh, I do believe that errors are inevitable, but uh, I think I think Greg's taking an extreme position here, uh, in that you know the the two are not mutually exclusive. You can strive for a zero error, you know that can be your goal, uh, but reality dictates that you are going to experience errors. The question is how you deal with them. Uh, so so I don't think that that uh, accepting the fact that there will be errors, uh, there will be accidents, is, is tantamount to condoning them. Uh, I think you just have to, to live with the fact that you can't avoid them and, and, and uh, do a root cause analysis, figure out why they happened. And, and sometimes discipline is the answer, other time education is. Um, you know, and I'll, and I'll jump in and, and, and take uh, Greg's side on this. So, well, I, of I course think, you would. I think from <laughs> what I'm hearing here, though, is to say – are we setting up the organization to say, make a mistake, it's okay? Yeah. And not taking the side of saying, you know what, we want you to give us our best. We want you to, you know, give the best. We want you to give the outstanding patient care. We want you to, you know, be pillars in the community. And, uh, you know, if things are going to happen, come and talk to us about it and we'll see what we can do. <coughs> but I think if we set it up to say, yeah, just go ahead and make all the errors you want. I think that's sending the wrong message to the workforce. Are our uh, errors going to happen? Of course they are. Uh, uh, are we going to get uh, um, um, education from it? Of course we are. But I think that saying they're going to happen and, and putting that into the organization sends a different message. Well, here's where I, I would uh, uh, I would push back on on. I, I'm going to nitpick both of those observations to a certain degree. One is that Kelly said there's time for discipline when you make a, a clinical error and sometimes there's a time for education that you're going to go down one of two roads. Uh, I don't believe that. I believe that discipline should be taken completely out of clinical errors. If somebody truly makes a clinical error, that is never a time for disciplinary action. When you go down the road of disciplinary action, what you get on the end of that is not increased learning and reduced errors. What you get on the end of that is uh, fear, uh, deceit and a willingness to cover up future errors, uh, lack of accountability, you know, it's not my fault, uh, risk aversion, people who don't want to take risks even when it's in the patient's behalf because they can say, I'm just doing what I'm, I'm told, and a singular learning environment where because you discipline, only the person who made the error can learn from it. The organization can't. Now, that's not to say there is never a time to discipline. Willful ignorance misconduct, moral failing, those are times when we come in and we say discipline. But clinical errors, it, it's not a, a point in time for discipline. And something that you said, Chris, that I think is, is important is uh, uh, you said uh, we are definitely going to commit the errors. We are definitely going to learn from them. I disagree. We are absolutely going to commit the errors. We are not always going to learn from them. How we view the error before it happens is going to have a tremendous impact on whether or not we learn from the errors that happen. Give me, give me an example of that. I'm not following you on that. Well, so if, if we create this, this idea of we expect zero errors, or at least our organizational goal is zero errors, even though most of us will admit that that's impossible. So we, we trip over the idea of creating organizational goals that we know are impossible, whether or not that's healthy. Um, but we put that out there. Uh, now when the error is committed, it's much more likely that there will be fear. There will be altering the documentation to see if we can get it past the QA process and a, a way to try to make the error silent 
or avoid accountability. And so if there's any learning at all, it only happens perhaps from the individual who committed the error, not, not the organization as a whole. Steve, do you separate uh, clinical errors out from operational errors? You know, one of the uh, sort of most frequently things that we could be posting news about on EMS-1 is stolen ambulances. I mean, scarcely a day goes by without finding a news story of stolen ambulance. And I actually have to, you know, before I post it, I want to, there's got to be something else like stolen and crashed or stolen and ransacked or stolen and taken out for donuts. Like, you, you know, it happens so often that there just seems to be, um, you know, are we, how are we not learning from those types of operational errors that seem to be happening all around us? That's a, that's a great question. I don't know if I have a good answer for it. I mean, okay. well, my, my, my initial thought is, yeah, you keep them on the same level. But in, in, that, in that list that I gave you for when do we discipline, willful ignorance is, is, in that, is on that list. I do think if you have publicized and educated within your department, we want you to do this very simple thing. We want you to lock the ambulance doors when you're on scene. And you find folks who are repeatedly not locking those doors when the supervisor shows up. There is a moment in time when you say, you know, this is no longer an educational issue. This isn't mm -hmm. a, a matter of your skills. It's not a matter of your knowledge. You are willfully remaining ignorant of this operational point that we want you to learn. So now we do have to get on that disciplinary way. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, rebut Greg's, uh, Greg's uh, idea here just a bit. Um, as far as operational errors go, uh, separating them out, I think the, the idea of, of uh, zero error goal and, and in that regard is is a noble concept, but it's unworkable, uh, and especially unworkable if you don't set people up, you don't give people the tools to right. succeed. You mentioned you mentioned locking ambulances. It's one thing to say you will lock all ambulances on scene. Uh, it's another thing entirely to make that feasible and convenient for mm. the crews. How many times have we sent someone at a scene, a firefighter, someone back to our rig to get something out of the ambulance? Right. How why many can't times? We, why can't we, we give them the f key fob when that happens? That, there you go. Well, that's the thing. You can say lock all your ambulance doors. My ambulance doors don't have a key fob. Okay. Mm. I don't have a key fob uh, on my keychain. Uh, it could be as something as simple as as uh, uh, retrofitting your your rigs with with some type of electronic lock, uh, or or. Not even this. Don't lock your ambulance doors. Install an ignition cutoff switch uh, so that you can, when you get out of the rig, you can't go anywhere in it even though the doors are open. That would prevent a lot of ambulance theft. So that would prevent every ambulance theft, don't you think? You know, training is training and education is, is simply a matter of, of uh, um, making it easier to do the right thing and then reinforcing the behavior. Right. It, that that was as true when I trained retrievers for a living as it is when when I train EMTs for a living. It's making it easier to do the right thing and then reinforcing the behavior. But if you're throwing obstacles in their path, you're fa that's a leadership failure right from the from the get go. But I think and that you can't very well hold a, a. Let me complete my thought. But you can't very well hold a. a, a a, an employee empl hold their feet to the fire for such a thing. I'll give you an example. John Politis uh, was was lecturing on, on leadership uh, at a recent conference or a conference last year, and, and I was listening to John. He was talking about he had some old school medics at his department, 
that insisted on uh, they had a bad habit of sticking their sharps uh, in the squad bench or in the ambulance stretcher. <laughs> You know, and we've all been there, done that back in the day before you had shielded catheters. You had some guys that did that and, and you know, and, and uh, still probably do it to this day. Uh, we all know better than to do that. Um, but these guys could not uh, or, or would not be broken of the behavior. Now, your your first thought is to is to discipline them for that. Well, you know, they can't learn. I guess they have to be punished. But he went back and asked them why do you do this? And he said, well, we're supposed to be bolted in in the back of the rig. We're supposed to be secured when the rig is in motion. Yet you guys mounted the sharps container on the other side of the module. We have to get up, unbuckle our seatbelt in, in a moving ambulance to dispose of the sharps. Why don't you just mount it close where we can, we, we can reach it without having to stick the uh, sharps in the squad bench? Now, do you punish a guy like that? Is that an error, or is that something that you didn't you you put obstacles in this path of doing the doing things the right way? Well, I think that starts from the from the very first process of noticing that there's a challenge, and if you're allowing it to precipitate what you're permitting, you're promoting, and you're creating a negative culture. So that should have been a discussion as soon as that was identified to say why is this happening and how is this behavior going on. You know, you don't you don't let it go on until you finally get to the point and saying you know we've talked about this a hundred times. You know, but but again, I think if you're setting the organization up to say, make an error, you know, because one of the things that you said, Steve, which I, I kind of, uh, you know, raised an eyebrow to is what we don't want is we don't want them to make a mistake. We don't want them to um, we don't want them to come forward with it because they're going to be intimidated and they're going to worry about getting written up and there's corrective action in it. So they're going to, you know, falsify a record. And I got to think that that's not really the place we're going to be. I think that one mistake really doesn't cascade to a second mistake. If I made a medication error, which I've done, uh, if I've used a different protocol, which I've done, if I forgot to take a blood glucose, someone with a blood glucose of 17, who the doctor told me they were having a stroke and I knew better and didn't check their blood sugar, you know... Then the thought is we're going to falsify the record just so we can hide the behavior. And I don't know that that's really the case or we're really going to get into that. I think that people are going to say, hey, I made an error here and I want to bring it forward. But then that's where the leadership comes in to ensure that it becomes a learning opportunity. I think you switched to your side, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think Chris um, flip-flopped. Am I waffling? Am I waffling? Uh, there's a difference between falsification of the medical record uh, and creative writing. We all learned creative writing uh, back in high school. Uh, those of us who do it well can do a better job of avoiding having those little errors that we make on every call yeah, uh, identified on. by a QA process. And But I'm not ruling out folks going as far as falsification of, of the medical record. If you have created that organizational environment of fear that mistakes are something to be disciplined and that that's our best way to reduce errors uh, in the future, you, you do, I think, set yourself up for those types of behavior. Steve, how, how do you have an organization where you can learn from errors when in that culture around you there's a, a demand for accountability? And I'm thinking... Of a, a news story today in Florida, you know, medics are being disciplined in an organization, disciplined by the state because they were slow to respond to a call. And then they also, they didn't report that they were slow to respond to the call. And so how do you, 
how do you have an organization that wants to learn from errors and prevent errors when all the culture around you wants to put somebody's head on the block and chop it off? That's a great question. It, it is. It, and I, and I've, I've been there. I do think, um, wow. One is I do think you, you have to have those folks that are fearless, that are champions of the learning environment that are willing to get up there at the monthly meeting and say, if I can make this error, anybody in this room can make this error. Mm-hmm. So I want you to learn from you know, the road that I went down. Let me tell you about this call and why I went left when I really should have gone right and what I would do next time. I think having those champions and then having people see them survive that and go on uh, and, the, and they have to be those folks that are respected, that have that respected medicine so that, that, that people can say, you know, if, if this guy with 15, 20 years on the line is, is, is still making these errors and he's also willing to, to not only be accountable but, but to be public about them, maybe I can talk about the fact that, you know, I brought in a stroke alert with a sugar of 15 uh, and, 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 and blanked on it. Um, does that answer the question? Is that is that kind of where you were going with that? Or? I, oh, yeah. I guess I'm just thinking more about sort of the regulatory agencies, not to mention the sort of like news media and sort of people looking for, you know, when there's a medication error or some sort of failure of the clinical care, you know, that's somebody's child or spouse right. or, and um, it, I, I think it's, I, I don't know what they Isn't, feel, but I imagine it's hard to be like, oh, well, I hope they learn from this. That's what I want there, Isn't there to some do. research out there? Isn't there some research out there that shows that, you know, uh, as far as, you know, uh, owning and admitting liability or admitting a mistake and, and apologizing for it goes a long way toward limiting uh, the incidence of lawsuits? Most people think, sue when they're mad, you know, yeah. not because they're out for money. They sue because they're mad. Right. Um, so, so in that regard, I, th- I think it would be, uh, you, know, you know, it would limit your liability a little bit. I think, I think you're Dick right. told me a, a, a long time ago, he said, people, uh, they, they won't remember the care that you gave, but they will remember how you made them feel. Right. And I think that's absolutely that's right. That's a great one. But, it, Greg, something I would point out about your story is that there is no way an organization can expect their employees to demonstrate certain values if they don't demonstrate them themselves. And when you talk about the organization not reporting, not stepping up there and saying, hey, as an organization, we made a mistake. This is what we identified. We were late. This is what we're doing to make up for it. If they don't, as administrators, also demonstrate the values that they want to see, there's no way you can expect that employee in the back of the medic unit to self-report an error that they've made as well. You know, I think we've got two sides here and we've got some great points and we've got some great counterpoints. And uh, I know, Greg, you're in a little time crunch, so we're going to let you go and and I'll pick up this fight for you as you go. Steve, maybe you can hang out with us and uh, talk a little bit about uh, your show and the videos sure. that you're doing, and, and let's go ahead and uh, let the let the audience know about those. But Greg Freeze, I want to thank you for joining us on the first point counterpoint, and uh, uh-huh. keep these things rolling, man. I think we've picked up a new segment for the show, Kelly. Oh yeah, yeah. I think yeah. thanks for coming on, Greg. Uh, uh, even though you were wrong, uh, we appreciate you. We appreciate you on here. Well, um, I'm, I'm going to pick I'm, on Chris after you're gone. You aren't wrong. I'm, Greg. I'm happy to be part of the conversation, and I'm glad that. Uh, 
You know, I think uh, what maybe Steve described of is like, hey, I like it when somebody uh, pushes back a little bit, and 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 I think what happened and sort of that's sort of the editorial give and take that we all, I think we all appreciate of uh-huh. of me saying to Steve like, really, I don't agree with this, and then he laid out his argument both previous to this recording and uh-huh. now, and I, I I'm 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 with the three of you, so. I guess I did. I lose. Is that what happened? I think you did. did. And I'm on an island now. I was waffling, so I'm on the Kelly Grayson side now. I'm picking him up from falling down the hill now. Don't, I think don't. I just got pushed off. So that's don't worry, all right. man. You 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 join a long distinguished fraternity of people I've turned around. So that's all right. right, great. All right, Greg. Right, we'll thanks for later. joining us. Greg, thanks, thanks for the pillow fight. <laughs> Chris, let me let me pose a, a question to you that I was going to pose to Greg as well. Sure. Um. You advocate, uh, or were advocating before you started waffling, a uh, that um, you know a, a zero error goal uh, is is the only ideal, and that that accepting uh, or that recognizing that errors uh, occur is is tantamount to accepting them and, and making it uh, okay to mess up. Let me ask you something. You, you set up your let's say you set up your drug box uh, at Christian Hospital Health System, and and the way your drug box is set up is so that similar medications or medications with similar labeling are separated. Would that be fair? You, you have your stuff kind of set up that way or, sure. or, yep. okay. You have those safeguards in place, uh, to limit errors. Well, how did those, how did those safeguards come into place in the first place? How did, how did they get in, put into place? You know, Somebody made an error, it right? Could've, yeah, it could have been that, but that and doesn't learned, mean I, that doesn't mean I need to make that error. Okay. You, you well, that's the thing. All, all these safeguards that we talking about, uh, that you were talking about putting in place, and and and, uh, and Greg was talking about, uh, you know, the taking the thin slice approach to uh, to uh, operations and, and patient care, and and you know, do the small things well, and uh, do the small things perfect, and and uh, on the macro scale, uh, you'll do the the big things as well. Um, the the thing is 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 all of those little tools and all those little safeguards you put into place to to make that zero error goal attainable those all those safeguards were put into place because someone made a mistake at one point or another i think that kind of demonstrates uh steve and i's point that that mistakes are inevitable uh the only question i'd ask you is is do you think there's a finite number of mistakes mistakes you can make um, cause that would, that would seem to be the, uh, we've learned all the lessons we need to learn. Uh, therefore now we've got to go out and just, uh, put create, our safeguards create some place. new ones. Yeah. Well, you know, never say anything's idiot proof because the idiots just take that as a challenge. That's right. Uh, you know, I think but, that, I think Greg's point, and I really want to move into chatting with, uh, Steve about yeah. uh, his show, but I think the point that Greg was making that I agree with is you don't set the organization up to say, um, go ahead and make a mistake. I think that you need to have the opportunity to ensure that they're going to deliver the highest quality of patient care, that they're going to do the best job that they can. Um, And when those mistakes happen, you have things in place that you're able to handle those mistakes in a non-punitive way, that I agree with you, Steve, in a non-punitive way, in an educational way, and that it Mm -hmm. really becomes education for everyone. But, But taking the stance to say... This is a, a, a organization that allows you to make mistakes. I don't know that that's where you want to be. Well, I think it's like, uh, and and I'll I'll throw in my last word, and then we'll we'll let Steve uh, pimp his shows. But um, I think the uh, it, it boils down to this: if you if you accept 
that errors are inevitable and empower people to uh, to uh, admit their errors and learn from them and teach others, uh, you know, how to not make the same mistake. Um, I think the uh, the organization or the the impetus to uh, to drive people to excellence, uh, the peer pressure and and personal pressure is, is far more than you can exert as a leader. Um, you give people the tools to uh, to get better on their own, and they'll they'll generally surprise you. All you right. don't you don't have to enforce that sort of thing. They'll do it for you. I think it was a great discussion, and uh, this was a good. Uh we could have had a good discussion with our clinical issue, and it seems like it really worked out well for us. But yep. let's go ahead and we'll jump over to you, Steve. And, you know, yeah. you, you have the you have your videos, um, and why don't you talk a little bit about them? I know you just filmed another set of videos up here in St. Louis just recently. So kind of give the, the listeners a little bit about what you're trying to accomplish and a little bit what can they expect when they, when they pump into these videos. Sure. Uh, yes, I do. Uh, I, I really look forward to every year coming out to your neck of the woods there in uh, St. Louis and, and meeting up with Ray Kemp, uh, who produces and directs these videos. We've got uh, two shows that we've got going on right now. Uh, we've just filmed the fifth season of um, uh, uh, Remember Two Things. And uh, it's this year we do a lot of... Uh, we're going to do a lot of drugs, street drugs, uh, two things about what we've learned about uh, legalizing marijuana here in Colorado. We've got two things about bath salts, you know, and synthetic uh, uh, catecholamines. We've got, uh, remember, two things uh, about uh, uh, these new trends in suicides, the uh, uh, hydrogen sulfide suicides, uh, using exit bags. So that's all going to be in there. I enjoy doing it. Um, I don't enjoy doing it as much as I like uh, what would you do. This is my new favorite show to film because uh, remember two things is me talking to a camera uh, and I love getting in the comment stream when we put them out there. I always look forward to them being released. Uh, filming them is not, has not been quite as fun as uh, what would you do because I get to sit down with Dr. David Tan, medical director uh, out there in, uh, in St. Louis, uh, uh, USAR medical specialist. He's just a great guy uh, and we look at some of the most challenging scenarios that have occurred or been uh, had to be addressed by actual providers out there in the field. Uh, we go through everything from, you know, I've been, I've, I've been interacting with the patient for five minutes and I don't know yet if it's a man or a woman, what am I supposed to do then? You know, to uh, snowbound patients, uh, we did uh, uh, drones on our scenes, you know, filming us. And in each one of these scenarios, we ask, what would you do if you were in that scenario? Those are a ton of fun to film. We're, we're having a good time doing it. I uh, I particularly enjoyed the uh, the your latest remember two things on the nasopharyngeal airway. Um, Nancy and I were wa uh, watching that the other night, and she's she was a uh, two nasal airways at once, two nasal airways and an OPA, and I said, oh yeah, it works great. So, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You're not limited to just one. Keep putting. Them That's in. right. Yeah, and I, and I and we were we actually we were talking about that Kelly before we got started, and uh, you know there are even the nasopharyngeals and the whole uh, trauma thing, you know, and people are saying we don't put anything in anybody's nose and trauma secondary to basal skull fracture, you know. We've been watching the yeah. same video since 1967 of one nasal tube getting wound up inside the you know the base of the skull secondary to a basal or skull fracture and no other research has been done to say that if we're putting anything into the nose and trauma 
uh, that it's doing uh, bad things. And I, I think would, I, I would say that if that were a risk uh, for the vast majority of patients, there would be other clinical signs to tell you not to do that, like you know, brain matter leaking out of their nose or mouth. Uh, there'd probably be a no-no in that case, but otherwise, it's fairly safe to do. Hey, Steve, let me ask you a question. What was the impetus? I mean, when you talk about uh, what would you do, would you talk about remember two things, why did you decide to go down that route? I mean, what was it about those two concepts that said, you know, our readers, our listeners, uh, the folks that are watching the videos, they need to see this stuff? Well, remember two things came from uh, Ray and I initially just having a conversation. We met up and he wanted to start you know, producing some more videos for, for EMS one. And, uh, we both agreed that one of the problems with the videos we were seeing out there is they went too long. It was that long format. And there were maybe just a couple good educational pearls in those videos. But by the time you're done with 25 minutes of content a week later, you just don't remember. So we thought about what is a format, uh, that, and so I came up with this, remember two things, you know, it's like, here's the subject. When you encounter this scenario, I just want you to remember these two things, hoping that we would get a higher retention rate on what it was that we were trying to teach, that you may actually remember those two things when you encounter that scenario. I think it also helped that I'm a Dave Matthews fan. I didn't realize that I'd ripped him off until, you know, maybe into our second season, and I was looking through my Dave Matthews collection, and I went, holy cow, that guy had a song called Remember Two Things. <laughs> so I, I hope I didn't fully plagiarize from the guy, but... But that might have been we'll some just, of it. We'll cut him in on the royalties. How's that? There you go. There you go. We'll have to add in uh, uh, Dave Matthews. Um, and then when we started talking to each other about uh, uh, what else could we add to, you know, what's out there, you know, is, is there a hole out there right now? And I told him, you know, we keep encountering or hearing news stories uh, of providers that are, are stuck in extremely challenging situations. And at the time, it was, I just read a story about these providers that were standing by on a minor injury assault victim and they were holding back uh, and they were, you know, it's a volunteer agency, it's rural, they're the guys for the area and they get to, they hear a house fire toned and they could see the flames from where they were parked and they were stuck with an incredibly hard decision and I thought, is there a format where we could have scenarios and say, this, this really happened, this is what they were presented with and you know, these are some of the things we would think about if we were challenged with that scenario. As, a, as an experienced uh, field paramedic and as a experienced medical director, here's some of the things we think you should think about if you encounter yeah. one of these scenarios that you can't address in the textbook. You can't address it in the classroom. Yeah, and, and I have to agree. And I got to tell you, I'm a fan of your uh, videos. I always enjoy when you uh, throw those articles out there. And I got to tell you, uh, you know, from a fan side, keep up that great work because every time uh, you put those out, I learn two things. And, uh, you know, I, I got to tell you, it's very enlightening. And he's a, darn, he's a darn fine karaoke singer, too, even if it is Nickelback. <laughs> really? Maybe we, get, maybe we get you to bust into some tunes on the next show, Steve. <laughs> Oh, some things they follow you for years and years. <laughs> so let me uh, let, let's go ahead and as we're getting up there in time. If folks want to get in touch with you, Steve, is there a way they can do that? Uh, they can always get in touch with me through my email at ems one. They're always I always encourage people jump into the comment stream. I read every comment uh, on every article that I publish, every video that's out there. I read those comments, so uh, you can do that. Uh, you can also email me at my blog. It's uh, Steve at 
theemtspot.com. Those are the best ways to grab me. Awesome. Great. And uh, promises you'll come back and share your knowledge with us. Absolutely. Thanks. Steve, well, thanks for coming. You're welcome. Well, Kelly, it looks like uh, we're going to put the wraps on another show, kind of a new show, a new format for us yeah. uh, for this week. I thought it was very interesting. We had a great time. But, uh, you know, maybe your closing thoughts and then get us out of here so we can uh, get on with the night. Great discussion. Uh, and, guys, uh, we'd like to hear your thoughts on the issue. Are medical errors inevitable? Uh, are they something or is a, a zero error envir- uh, environment something we should strive for? And, and is it attainable? We'd like to hear your thoughts. So email us at the show at ems1.com. And for myself, co-host Chris Ceballero, our boss Greg Fries, and guest uh, Steve Whitehead, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. And we'll catch you next week.